Welcome to Encounter. This is a uh, this is an exciting day. I'm I'm uh, really looking forward to this day for two reasons. One is Grandparents' Day. Hopefully, you already know if your grandpa and grandma are going to be on campus today. You're going to hear more about what that means this afternoon, and and what you need to do if your grandpa and or grandma are here today from Mr. Wassner at the end of Encounter, all right? So we'll get to Grandparents' Day later, but I'm also excited because we have someone that is very special to me and, and special to our school, one of our graduates, Ellie Harrison. You maybe know Ellie, you maybe do not, but she is a 2019 graduate from Southwest. During her time here, she was very engaged in, um, I believe, tennis and basketball. She played on those teams. I think she sang in the chamber choir. She was involved in uh, student government. I think she was our student body president her senior year. And I loved giving Ellie a hard time. And she would give it back to me. And I think we spent four years in a row, um, getting to know each other, joking around, but I also got to sit down and have some great conversations with Ellie about life, about her faith, and it's been a pleasure for me to see her continue to strive to, to figure out what, is it, what does it mean, what does it look like to follow Jesus. Right now, Ellie is about to graduate from Liberty University online. She is getting a degree, I believe, in behavior management. Is that right? Oh, I got that wrong. Not managing behavior. The behavioral science and business management. Okay. Um, she is just getting back from studying abroad in Italy, which is super cool. And she's about ready to start a career as a realtor. So we're going to... Go to God and worship together first with our, our worship team. And then after that, I'd love for all of you to welcome Ellie Harrison up as our speaker. Thank you. All right. I get a nice comfy chair so that I don't have to stand. Um, but my name is Ellie Harrison. Um, like Mr. Beckering said, I graduated in 2019. Um, so I'm going to share a lot about um, my story with you guys Um and it all started when I was a young girl, when I was about 12 years old. Um, so it's going to backtrack and then we'll come back to now. Um, but I had a really, really huge fear of throwing up, which is called emetophobia. So I don't know if anyone else, the more I share it, the more I realize that a lot of people have that. Um, but I had a really huge fear of it and I didn't know where it stemmed from. But every single time I felt even remotely sick, um, I would have these like really intense panic attacks. So obviously throwing up then became associated with panic attacks, so it doubled down on the fear. Um, but if you think of a panic attack like a hill, so as I explain it, um, you start at the bottom of the hill, so you start with like racing thoughts like, oh, what if, like, what if I'm gonna throw up? What if my parents don't get here in time? 
um, whatever what if I could think of. So that's how it would start on the hill. And as it would progress, the fear would set in and I would be going up the hill and they would start to manifest themselves physically, like in my body. So my whole body would start shaking, um, kind of like I was really cold. And that's when I would reach like the peak of the hill. So at this point, I've completely lost control. Um, it's full on panic attack. And I would call for my parents and they would come in and they would pray over me for as long as it would take for the panic attack to settle down or for me to settle down, which could take anywhere from five minutes to an hour. It just really depended. Um, so at the time, obviously, when I was 12, I had no idea what that was, what it meant or what was going on. Um, so fast forward, I'm in high school now. I, it was kind of a thing of when I was younger. I hadn't dealt with it in a long time. And like Mr. Beckering said, I was super involved in high school. I loved high school. Came here when I was 15. So I didn't know anyone at first, but I got plugged into sports, um, student government, and really loved it. Met some girls who are still my friends today. Um, and then we're in senior year, which is when things started to... Um, change a little for me. So I was noticing again that I was having the racing thoughts that I had already, that I kind of remembered from when I was younger, um, but the hill just started getting steeper and steeper. So over time, I became afraid of absolutely everything and my mind was my master. So if I had a fear of something, that fear was completely my reality. So whatever my mind told me, I took it as true. So some examples of that would be like, okay, what if I feel sick during tennis? So then I would not try as hard at tennis. Or um, what if I can't speak in front of class? So then I would sit in the back and I would not participate, which was also really not like me. And then another one, what if you aren't hungry for your lunch? So then I would avoid eating in front of people. I wouldn't finish my food because it gave me anxiety to eat in front of people. Or what if you aren't being fun for your friends? Or like, what if you're not being engaging? Or what if you're anxious when you're with them? So then I started to spend less and less time with my friends. Any fear that I had, it was my master and it decided for me what I was going to do. So what would happen is all the anxiety and all the fear would give me these really intense stomach aches because the mind and the gut are super interconnected. So I never wanted to eat. So to regain control of myself as I felt like I was really spiraling, um, I tried to do little things that I thought would help. So I would only spend time with my boyfriend at the time because he felt really safe to me. Um, I shut out my friends entirely. Um, I really frequently skipped meals because they made me more nauseous than I already was. Um, and if I was nauseous, it kind of triggered that fear from when I was a little girl. Um, so this made me increasingly anxious and I was constantly in this vicious cycle where I was, I was anxious, I would feel sick, and then I wouldn't eat, which would make me more anxious. And then it was a loop that over time I just felt like I, I could not get out of. So during that senior year of high school, I had multiple panic attacks a day um, that were really like the ones that I, that I had when I was young. I would shake uncontrollably. I would get really dizzy. Uh, my heart would start racing. I would have a hard time communicating. Um, and in these moments, I really, really would lose sight of the Lord. And to this day, I cannot describe a feeling that's more lonely than in the middle of a panic attack. Um, so I noticed that I would isolate myself even further and spend as much time as I could alone 
because alone was where nobody had any expectations of me, where I couldn't let anyone down and no one had to see my panic attacks. So something was really wrong. Um, I was a completely different person. I was losing weight unhealthily. I was antisocial. Um, I hated class. I wasn't competitive. I was afraid of everything. Um, and I specifically remember um, a time, there, there was multiple that happened during school, but with Mr. Beckering, he, when we were opening the new building, he wanted me to cut the ribbon and like say thank you to all the parents. Um, and this was like a big moment of like, it was really sad at the time. It's kind of just funny, but he looked over to me cause it was my turn to come up, cut the ribbon, say thank you to everyone, which is quite an honor. And I just like looked at him and I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. So then he had to recover and just pretend like it wasn't part of it and cut the ribbon himself. So things like that were just like, just happened all the time where I would have a commitment that I would back out of or, or something like that. So the first step in everything um, in terms of recovery was to acknowledge. So my parents were the ones who really helped me acknowledge that something was very wrong. They noticed the signs um, that I really tried hard to keep to myself, and they eventually started witnessing those panic attacks. Just like when I was little, um, they would come into my room as an 18-year-old senior in high school, and they would pray over me until the anxiety would pass. And once in a while, my mom would even have to come in and lay with me until I fell back asleep because it would be so intense that I couldn't get myself to go back to sleep. So an attempt to help me, my parents would monitor what I ate by making sure my lunchbox was empty when I came home and my dad would make me smoothies every single morning um, because I could take my time eating them and they wouldn't upset my stomach. So then after that, um, we sought to get a counselor for me, which is kind of, um, in the Christian world, I think there's a little bit of a weird stigma around counseling and therapy, but um, I sought, or my parents sought for me a Christian counselor, um, and she, a lot of what I'm sharing today is a lot of what she told me. So I started counseling, and I realized that coming to terms with the struggle of anxiety that I was facing was one of the very first steps to conquering it. The reason why I had avoided acknowledgement so fervently was because the lie that I was believing was that to be anxious was to be weak. And as soon as I acknowledged that I had a problem, I thought that that meant that I was giving into the stranger that I had become. So acknowledgement was my first step. So we're going to watch a little clip from Monsters, Inc. So Mr. Whip can play that, and then I'll let you guys know how that relates to what I'm talking about. Okay, so um, that's actually one of my favorite Disney movies, but there's actually a compelling life lesson in there that spoke to me a lot when I was in high school. Um, so basically, for anyone who doesn't know the context, um, the job of the monsters is to scare as many little kids as possible. They take into account specific things that the child would find scary, alarming, or screamworthy. Um, so Boo, who's a little girl, is really scared of the monster Randall. Um, and obviously, he knows exactly what's going to make her cower and cry. But Boo has never seen Randall in the light. She just knows what he's capable of doing. So as the story progresses, Boo enters the monster world, as we saw. Um, and she sees Randall in the light. Um, and as she sees Sully, her friend, who's much bigger monster, she realizes how small, insignificant, and weak 
her monster truly is. And then that's when Sully says, I guess you're out of a job. So once Randall is seen in the light next to his protector, Sully, um, Randall loses every amount of power that he has. He tries to scare her again and again um, in like the other movies that are coming, um, but she realizes that he is just a small, scaly lizard who cannot touch her. Um, so this story reminds me a lot of how the devil works in our lives. He exists in the darkest parts of who we are and knows the exact things that debilitate us with fear and anxiety. And if we exist in a constant state of fear, lack of trust, doubts, and uncertainty, that is exactly what he uses. So these feelings are very real and very valid, so it doesn't take away from the fact that they're there. But when we bring them into the light, we realize how little power they truly have over us. So therefore, when we bring our fears and anxieties before our Heavenly Father, we realize that they are small and powerless in companion in the same way when Randall is next to Sully. So the devil is real. He is always prowling, seeking those who are vulnerable and weak which is definitely me. I think that all of us have moments where we're powerless and weak, um, but the Bible talks about that in 1 Peter 5, 8. But praise the Lord that his power is made perfect in our weakness, which is talked about in 2 Corinthians. In light of who God is, our fears and worries do not stand a chance. So the second part is about understanding anxiety. So I, once I acknowledged that I had a problem, I really needed to understand what was going on. So a lot of people believe that anxiety can just be prayed away or that anxiety exists just because you don't have enough faith in God, which is absolutely not the case. Because if that were the case, um, then we would spend a lot of time trying to shove that down or trying to reach a standard, but God meets us where we're at. So in Philippians 4, 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So I always was like, do not be anxious. Okay, easier said than done. Um, But as I was studying this, the Greek root of the word anxious is merim now, which does not mean never have an anxious thought or do not be anxious. It's the word anxious and merim now is synonymous with meditation. So what it's saying is do not meditate. So you can choose not to meditate on fearful and anxious thoughts. And that is possible. So when I was in high school and still today sometimes, um, my choice every single day was to meditate on my fearful thoughts that were related to performance, fear of failure, lack of control, and so on. Um, So with the help of my counselor, she explained to me what my anxiety was doing to me on a physical level. Um, because once we, when we understand anxiety, it helps us to identify when it's coming. Because our bodies are not made to be in fight or flight all of the time, it took a major toll on my physical body. So a lot of people experience feeling sick to their stomach, um, racing heartbeat, sweating, lightheadedness, racing thoughts, and a lot more. So at the time I, I, when I would talk to my mom about it, I thought that I had some kind of terminal illness or a stomach ulcer but when we went to the doctor it was just like okay you're really really struggling with anxiety so I had to understand where my anxiety was coming from um, so that I could or that it was coming from all of my what-ifs and false alarms so part of anxiety is a lack of assurance of some kind it does not tell us what is true 
It feels super real and very present, but all it ever does is remind us to bring forth our worst fears and worries that have not come true yet. So this is why you need to understand anxiety because for all of you personally, if you're like, okay, do I struggle with anxiety? It's important to realize, okay, what is anxiety and what are the symptoms I feel when I'm anxious? Um, so for me, when I'm anxious or giving into the what if thoughts or giving into those false alarms, um, that's when I get super nauseous, fatigued, racing heartbeat or all the things that I mentioned. So you have to understand that anxiety is not your friend it's not your helper and it's not your guider. But what I do as someone who struggles with anxiety is, I, is if I'm struggling, I let that be my guider, my helper, the one that tell, or the voice that tells me what's true. So the Bible is our very first line of defense. So whenever I notice myself meditating on these thoughts, I would practice focusing my heart and mind on who is my friend, who is my helper, and who is my guider. So the next step for me was to declare. So with understanding anxiety in mind, the next step is to declare what is true. When we have these intrusive thoughts and fears, in order to displace them, we have to replace them with what is good, noble, right, and true, which is talked about in Philippians 4. So how do we do this? By taking our thoughts captive and turning them to the Lord, 2 Corinthians 10. So the way I like to think about this is if you're playing baseball, and someone hits a pop fly and it's coming towards you, what you have to do with it is obviously you catch it and you throw it to first or second base to get them out. So I like to think of the ball as a thought. The thought comes in out of nowhere, you catch it and you throw it to where it's meant to be and then you replace it with what is true. So that is exactly what I would practice doing with my thinking. So if an intrusive thought came in, I would take it I would replace it with what is true and I would discard of it. And this wasn't an easy thing at all. It was something that I had to do so, so many times a day. But what's really interesting about like how our brains work is we form pathways and, and grooves of thought. And that is the way that our minds will go automatically. So what I learned is our minds are kind of like, if you think of a patch of grass and a wheelbarrow, the wheelbarrow is constantly going down the same path, but if you turn the wheelbarrow and go down a different patch of grass, eventually over time, it'll start to create a new path as the grass gets worn down. So that was so encouraging to me to learn because I was like, okay, this practicing of right thinking and of, and of putting my mind the direction it's supposed to go is eventually going to teach my mind how to do that on its own. Because all that time I was like, okay, this is exhausting. Like trying to teach my brain how to think rightly is absolutely exhausting. So um, that's not to say that as I practiced it, I never had an anxious thought again, but instead I was equipped and able to turn my thoughts in the direction that they um, were meant to go. It's like from the analogy earlier, our fears in light of who God is do not stand a chance. So I began to study scriptures that taught me who God is. So on this next slide, there's a lot of different verses that I would use. I'm not going to read them all to you guys, but basically what, I, what I've been learning about the Lord is that he's our burden bearer, he's our savior, he's compassionate, he shows us grace, he equips us with what we need, and we have his power dwelling within us. So as I learned these things about him, I realized that the things that I was afraid of did not have as much power. 
So what I am not saying, what I'm not saying is that if you know and have God in your life, you will not struggle with anxiety. And what I am saying is that knowing God equips us with what we need so that we can find rest and peace knowing that he will never leave our sides. So you are not a bad person or a bad Christian if you, like me, have suffered and still do suffer from anxiety. So this goes into my next point about how Jesus himself experienced anxiety. And so we're going to talk a little bit about purposeful prayer. So when Jesus was on earth, he experienced intense anxiety before dying on the cross. He fell to his knees in a posture of humility and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Matthew 26. He prayed this prayer three separate times, knowing that soon he would be experiencing the most excruciating physical, emotional, and spiritual pain known to mankind. Death on the cross, complete separation from God, and complete loneliness. So those are three things. Um, That was the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual pain. So my first takeaway in light of anxiety is that Jesus knows and he understands. He understands the complete isolation that we feel in our most anxious moments. He understands the physical discomfort that we experience along with it, and he understands the desire for it to go away. Jesus's posture of prayer was to come before the Father and acknowledge how hard this coming suffering was for him. And in the same way, in our suffering, it's imperative that we come before God and are honest in that. He wants to know, he wants to hear, and he wants to meet us where we're at. So take time in deep suffering and anxious moments to cry out to the Lord. Tell him exactly what you're feeling and experiencing. He promises that he is going to hold you in the palm of his hands in Psalm 91. We are not promised a life without suffering, but we are promised a life with our perfect and loving Savior each step of the way. He promises to never withhold himself from us. He is the good and perfect gift in Psalm 84. So there's a really good quote that encourages me from James Martin, and it says, The invitation to surrender, to accept our cup, to acknowledge the inevitability of suffering, and to step onto the path of sacrifice comes in context with a relationship with God. We trust that God will be with us in all that we do and all that we suffer. We do not simply grit our teeth, clench our fists, and push on alone and unaided. Someone is with us, helping us. So what is really encouraging to me is that in all of my fears and anxieties, there's absolutely nothing that can touch me unless it goes through the Lord first. And if it goes through the Lord, then it is for my good. So where I am today, um, it might be encouraging to you guys, it might be discouraging, but I still do very much struggle with anxiety Um, And as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't make me a faithless person, and it is not a punishment from God, and being a Christian does not magically take it away. We live in a very sinful and fallen world, and the devil is always trying to take us down. However, I am living in freedom from anxiety because I'm no longer a slave to my mind or to my anxiety. I've been given the tools from my counselor, the people around me, and my first line of defense, which I mentioned earlier, is the Bible. So the main points that we went over um, that I would encourage you guys to do if, if you're struggling as well, 
Recognize what your monster is. So process with someone exactly what it is that brings you anxiety. Someone that can help you kind of unpack and get to the roots of what that is. The second point is to understand your anxiety. When you feel anxious, what is it that triggered it? What is it that you feel internally? Um, And understand, do a little bit of research or see what the Bible says about it. Um, the, The third step is to declare what is true. Start your morning with a declaration of who God is and who you are. Um, And pray with purpose. Tell your father exactly what you are experiencing because he fully, fully, fully understands. Um, And then I was going to maybe go over some steps, but I think I'm going to invite Mr. Goldie up. And we have a couple of questions to go over if we have time. First of all, let's uh, give Ellie a hand. Thank you, Ellie. Yeah. And obviously, as uh, somebody who struggles uh, with anxiety for uh, for Ellie, this is both uh, a delight to come share with you, but also takes a lot of courage. So uh, again, thanks, Ellie, for being here. During your Bible classes, many of you uh, were asked to submit some questions to Ellie. We are um, running out of time because of Grandparents' Day. We need to make some announcements about that. So here's um, what I'm going to have us do. I'm going to ask Ellie, you had one more slide with some, um, and I know we just shut that off, but with some some practical coping yeah. sort of things, which is the dominant question that students yep. ask, which was like, how, what are some of the go-to coping mechanisms? And here's what I will say um, prior to, um, and she'll answer this for just a minute, if you could. And yep. then um, the other questions that you asked, some of you may know this, some of you may not, but we have a podcast and you can listen to um, Ellie's answer to those questions. We'll have a little tag on on the podcast, which will be a Q&A where I will ask your questions in your words to um, Ellie and you can tune in on the Encounter podcast on the Southwest website or anywhere you get podcasts and uh, hear her answer to those questions because we want to honor the fact that you guys asked those. So. Go-to coping mechanisms. Yeah, Yeah. so a lot of people like to know, like, what can I do in the moment of, like, intense anxiety? Because um, sometimes it's not as simple as just praying um, because um, God has actually put in our minds and in our bodies certain ways to cope with intense stress and intense anxiety. So one of my main go-tos is to breathe in a pattern. So that's going to be inhaling for four, holding it for seven and exhaling for eight. And the reason why this works is because when you practice um, like systemic, systematic breathing is kind of what it's called, is you're taking your fight or flight that is going off in your brain in anxious moments and you're causing it to go down. So that is a big one. And sometimes it takes anywhere from five to 10 minutes of intentional breathing in order for that to Um, go down, but that's one of my most common practices. Um, Another one is being vulnerable with others so that they can support you. So I found that when I'm really anxious, um, I try to tell someone that's nearby, like, hey, I am feeling really anxious right now so that I don't have to bear that burden alone. And a lot of my best friends in my life um, know kind of what I'm like when I'm anxious or what I need when I'm anxious and my parents as well so they can really support me in that so I would encourage that um, and, and like I was saying anxiety and your gut are so related so if you when you're feeling anxious you're gonna feel most likely you're gonna ha- experience nausea which is gonna make you not want to eat as I mentioned earlier so one thing that I had to do is I had to have people that held me accountable to eating three times a day. Or for me, I would specifically choose foods that 
were easy on my stomach or that kind of a thing. Um, and another one that I use that, I, that is kind of interesting, but if you take your fingers, two in the front and two in the back, and you put them in front and behind of your ears, it activates your, you can try it, <laughs> it activates your parasympathetic nervous system. So if you massage those two areas when you're feeling anxious, it activates that system and can really help calm you down. But you have to do it for a little while. So try it and it'll, it'll really help. So those are, some of my, those are some of my main coping mechanisms. Let's uh, thank Ellie one more time as I invite Mr.